This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. All right, you guys, what's going on? Welcome to another episode of the Temple of Hoop. Uh, this episode, I have a, another special guest. Uh, we have Jason Temp from the Hoops Habit, contributor to the Hoops Habit. Jason, what's going on, man? What's up, man? Thanks for inviting me on. I appreciate it. Well, no, it's good. It's always good to have somebody that you uh, have argued with uh, on the <laughs> podcast to get away from the timeline, right? <laughs> Absolutely. It's way better to do it like this, too. It's hard to get your point across on Twitter the right way. It is. It is. It is. It's a lot of, a lot of nonsense you got to go through. That's re- the reason why I started this because there's a lot of guys I, I interact with and I just wanted to get away from the timeline for a minute just to talk about some real basketball. Sure. You know, you play, you play some college ball yourself. You've been covering, you know, writing about the NBA for a while now. So it's good to have you on, man. Mm-hmm. Thanks, man. Yeah, it's all good. So let's get right into it. Uh, so we all saw today the Blazers clinched the last spot by defeating the Memphis Grizzlies today uh, in a close game. Um, a lot of people have just, uh, seen the 8-9 playing uh, situation. think this is something that should stay with the NBA going forward. Where are you on that? For sure, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I watched the game, and it was uh, incredibly intense. It was the first little taste of, I guess, what you could call playoff basketball since, uh, since I've been following the bubble. And, uh, I mean, you, you know what's crazy is I've seen a couple of the, the media people post videos that are in the actual gyms uh, where you can kind of hear less of the crowd noise and more of what the players are doing. I love those. And, and when Melo hit that big three, like, there is an intensity in that gym that's pretty insane. It kind of it reminds me of, like, smaller, small-time basketball, you know what I mean? Like, when there's less crowds. Like, if you ever played at a small school, if you play in, like, a city league or a pro-am or something. Right, 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 right. There's a little bit more of that vibe. But yeah, it was super intense. The one thing that I thought was kind of a bummer is like, I never really felt like Portland was threatened, even if they had lost. Um, I think it would have been an interesting thing to either make it a three game series or make it a one game winner take all. Mm-hmm. Uh, because of the, just because of the fact that like, I remember thinking like, oh man, like they might lose this, but you know, it lacked a little bit of intensity there. But the playing thing is awesome. I think I think it's a, a, a huge opportunity to add some intensity to the first round that otherwise isn't there. Yeah, see, where I was at on it is, is that, you know, the NBA, the 82-game season is long, right? Those months, mm-hmm. you know, I was thinking that if a team gets injured, they lose a guy for a few weeks, but he comes back, they're still in, in, the, in, the, in the running for the eighth seed, right? And they can still have a chance to go get it. I was thinking more in terms of that where you keep it and, like you said, maybe make it a three-game series. But I did understand that you wanted to give the team who was in the AC somewhat of an upper hand. So mm-hmm. I didn't understand that. But I would, I would imagine that, that that upper hand would be them having home court, right, if it was mm-hmm. a normal situation. So I love that as far as uh, keeping more teams engaged in the regular season. Like, that's always been an issue as far as regular season basketball because the season's so long. 
guys are going half speed, just trying to stay healthy at a certain point. So I think adding anything, anything that adds intensity to the regular season is a good way to go. So that's yeah, it reminded me of that. It reminded me of that Nuggets Wolves game from a couple years ago. Do you remember yeah, that? That was one? a great game. Yeah, yeah, I remember yeah, that. Like, it was the it was the first time I've seen it since that. Where like there there's an intensity that's there that is different in that one game setting that you don't get often in the NBA, except for it's like NCAA tourney, right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, right, right. All right, so uh, I think I don't think people are being serious. I think it's just to, for clicks and for just to get a hot take off, but. A lot of people have decided that the Blazers are going to be a threat to the Lakers, which I think is ridiculous watching them play defense in this bubble. I don't see how they're going to stop uh, AD and LeBron. Um, where, where are you on that? <laughs> well, I, I'm with you, man. Like, I, like I, think, I think it's telling that a team that has as much talent as they do, in theory, on paper, every time we're checking the score on their games, <laughs> right. like, you're like, wait, they're – that like they're barely beating Philly or I think they've trailed in the fourth quarter of like their last three or four games. Like at a certain point, like when you're playing, like your life depends on it and you can't get stops. That tells me one of two things, either one, you are not very cohesive defensively. You don't have uh, your rotations down or two, um, you legitimately don't have enough defensive talent. And I think in this case, it's a defensive talent thing because like Dame, like this is the biggest thing that separates Dame and Steph right now is Steph turned himself into a legitimate average to above average NBA defender. And team, Dame team defender, at least in the team sense, I think. Exactly. I agree with you. Whereas like with, with Dame, he's somewhere beneath that. And then CJ McCollum, like, I love his game. He's so damn good. But there's something missing between him and a guy like Clay on, a de- on the defensive end. And then Melo, I actually think Melo will give LeBron a little bit of trouble at first because Melo's big. Like, LeBron can't bully Melo. But we'll give, him, give, give LeBron enough reps and he's going to figure out how to, to exploit him because he's too slow and he just doesn't have what it takes to keep up with him athletically. But uh, um, Nurkic, actually, as much as I like Nurkic, He's not super active around the basket defensively. They just don't have the defensive talent to match up with really anybody. They really miss Ariza, I think. Yep. yep. Um, but And I've heard some people floating trying to trade CJ for a 3 and D wing. I wouldn't do that. I'd try to do it through the draft. But they just don't have the defensive talent. And in a, in a seven-game series, there's absolutely no chance that they could get by with anything built above a fluky win. So, like, I give them game one if Dame goes off, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. But the, the Lakers are too smart. They're too connected defensively. They're too physically imposing to not just eventually win that series. Like, there's just no way. Like, <laughs> it, it would be crazy if it went to six. You know yeah, I mean? that's why I'm, I'll give them one game if Dame goes uh, supernova, right, goes crazy, mm-hmm. like the, you know – he has one of those 50-point games. I made 11 threes, like one of those games. Mm-hmm. Like sometimes a guy gets hot. Um, like I said, they were playing for their life the whole bubble. And just I turned in, I don't know how many 60-point, 60 65-70-point halves they gave up defensively. And like you said, when you are playing for your life and just can't get stops, I think it was a, a little bit of both of what you said as far as they didn't have the cohesiveness with the injuries, right, all their injuries. Just got Collins and Nurk back. Mm-hmm. Added mellow late, and on top of that, they just don't have a lot of defensive talent to begin with. So I think this mm-hmm. is a double-edged sword. They are. It is going to be fun. It's going to be up and down, high-scoring series. But it'll just be like I think one or two runs a game where the Lakers go like twelve to fifteen to, and the game will be like over from that standpoint because the Lakers can't get enough stops to come back. 
that's where I am. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's too much. Um, and especially since like you and I both know from watching so much playoff basketball over the years, like it, it really does devolve from, you know, really uh, uh, like free flowing and free moving to just a, an absolute rock fight. And right. the, the Blazers just do not like, there's a re- one of the biggest reasons why Dame has had some struggles in late playoff rounds is because it's, it's not about finessing teams anymore. Like it's about, can you win the rock fight? And like, at the end of the day, I think you're going to see stretches where, I think you're going to see stretches where the Lakers are just getting three, four offensive rebounds at a time. They're going to be just absolutely bullying them on the inside. I, I just, um, like I said, an early, I, uh, I think, um, I think Raj was talking about this today. I think there's definitely a chance for that early, early like game one where the Lakers haven't matched their intensity yet. And yeah, Lakers, Lakers and, didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. But like, especially since it's a habits thing, like you've been, they're used to not playing for their lives. So as soon like it may take a while for them to get up to speed but there's no chance that they don't eventually overcome that. There's just absolutely no chance. It'll be fun though. It'll be, a, it'll definitely be a funner to watch first round series than we're accustomed to seeing for one yeah, season. That's for I, sure. I, I'm enjoying, I, I like it because I think it gives the Lakers a chance to get their offense back on track. This is like the perfect series for them. 100%. Guys are going to get a whole bunch of open shots. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> ready to shoot. Okay, time to get a rhythm going. <laughs> exactly. So just moving on in, in the bubble, I'm glad we got that, you know, got that established. Um, a lot has been made about um, just LeBron's struggles in general in the bubble uh, as far as how he's looked from a physical standpoint, just his shooting. Uh, he's averaging uh, 22, 7, and 7 in the bubble on the 45, 34, 66 shooting splits. Uh, Lakers have been actually been outscored by 34 points in the minutes he's been on the floor. Um, what do you take away from that? Just knowing – I know you're, you're a LeBron fan. You've been watching him forever. You pretty much know how he works things. How do you uh, – what do you take away from, the, from that bubble play? First of all, like, I think one of the ugliest things in all of sports is LeBron in a basketball game that he doesn't care about. It's literally, it's so incredibly frustrating. And you definitely saw, you got a healthy dose of that last year. Because especially after the injury, like, there was a lot of that, like, where where it's just, it's really kind of embarrassing. And it's just because, like, he's at a point where he's accomplished so much and he's done so much that, like, he can't get up for those games the way that, you know, a normal player in the NBA can. But as far as, like, the numbers go, like, he – Someone, someone, uh, I think it was one of the major sites like Slam or something posted some highlights of Miami LeBron today. We're all out of our minds if we don't think he slowed down. Of course he has. Like, yeah, absolutely. But I'm one of those guys who thinks that from an IQ standpoint and from a skill standpoint, he's actually maybe at the same level, if not a little better, uh, especially on the offensive end. I'm one of those guys who thinks 2018 LeBron is better than 2013 LeBron because he was so much more surgical in the half court in the way that he could pick defenses apart and score from all three levels. And he shot the hell out the ball. He shot the hell out that ball that last. Exactly. exactly. And so the, the, the reality is, is uh, I actually wrote some numbers down. So like uh, coming into this season, the first six games, he was at 47% from the field and 28% from three. Um, And, but then immediately after that, he went into a 15 game stretch where he was 51% and 36%. The 10 games right before the break, so right before we went into uh, the, the bubble, starting with that uh, Denver game and then uh, ending with that Brooklyn Nets loss, mm. he was 39-10 and 10 on 55 from the field, 35 from three, 71 from the free throw line. That's basically 2018 LeBron stuff. Yeah, okay. He was scoring from all three levels. He was scoring against elite defenders. He had a lot of one-on-one buckets on Kawhi and Giannis that, uh, that looked like he was at his old self. 
I really do think it's a combination of him getting his legs underneath him and just kind of getting his rhythm back. Now, this is what this is the reward for being the one seed. Like everyone talks about, you know, what the reward is. I, you and I both think the Blazers aren't that great. The reality is, is they're going to play a team that they should beat in the first two rounds, right? right so right. with that being the case, they, he has time to get his legs underneath him. But I, do, I would not be surprised if we get an ugly playoff game from him in the first round. And I would not be surprised if it takes him into about the middle of the second round, where I would be seriously concerned because he he's famous for having bad game ones often in his career, um, not just playing bad, but teams losing. He's trailed 1-0 in a series so many times. Um, <laughs> but I, I would say right around, like, if he's still really struggling to get uh, to his, like, right around 50, 52%, if he's struggling to get there and by game two against the Clippers, that's where I'd be like, uh-oh, you know, like, we, we have a serious problem. Because especially with the Avery Bradley loss, they desperately need LeBron and AD to outplay Kawhi and Paul George. They absolutely need that. Yeah, that's what I said. I was like, uh, I, I went in this understanding. I, I, I just watching the Lakers all season, just knowing how the construction of the roster is. Mm-hmm. I was like, and, I, and I'm fine with that because I think they're perfectly capable. But LeBron and AD mm-hmm. have to be out of this world for the Lakers to win a championship. But I think they're perfectly capable of doing so with their IQ and their ability. AD's right to smack that of his prime. LeBron's mm-hmm. been there so many times. He understands what it takes to win. So I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. Um, my thing with, with, with LeBron was, Somebody made an interesting point, like this bubble for the older players. It was like almost going into your next season with the four-month layoff. Yep. So it was like he's going into year 18. So part of that, I thought about that, and I was like, hmm, that, that's an interesting point because, you know, guys at that age, it takes a little longer to rev up. At the same time, the back of my head, I'm like, it's LeBron James. He's been here before. He knows his body better than anybody. He's in uncharted territory as far as an athlete maintaining close to peak performance this, this far down the line in his career. So – I'm just kind of trusting him to know himself and you know be ready when he when he needs to be ready. Mm-hmm. And like we know, we know LeBron. He tends to to show his hand. Like when he's loose and making jokes and playing light with the media, you can tell he's not worried. Yeah. And then he, he starts doing his passive aggressive stuff when he gets like when he's actually worried. So I think we'll know. But yeah, the reality is is like, and you said this the other day, like um, on Twitter, you were like, uh, he is so smart and he's such a good passer that even if he's lost a step, he's still one of the best two players in the league. Right. Right. And that's the truth is, and that should absolutely bear out in the first two rounds. So he's bought himself time by getting the one seed to get his legs back. Right. Um, but the, the reality is, is like, I think we can count on AD outplaying Paul George, but if LeBron can't at least match Kawhi, then they're going to be in serious trouble. Because, like, I think LeBron, uh, Kawhi at his age and as long as his body holds up, his, his play style is very dependable. And, um, and, and I, would, I would just say that – and you, you say this all the time, and I, and I think you're right on uh, – you hit the nail on the head with it. You have to hold him to the GOAT standard. You have to hold LeBron to that standard. If LeBron is who we think he is, he should be able to rev it up enough to make one last playoff run that has real impact. And so, um, and there's no excuse. Like, this isn't like he's coming off an injury. He's coming off the time off. And it's, okay, is the roster quite as deep as it was in March? No, but it's plenty deep enough. We're not talking about, you know, 2018, where, like, he could shoot the best shot in the world and he'd never get it done. <laughs> like, we're, he, he's got, he has the horses. 
he he he, he had, there's no excuse at this point. He needs to yeah, get we saw we we saw the you know the ups and downs of Dion in the bubble. <laughs> the yeah, it's exactly. defensive <laughs> roller coaster. That'll be oh, interesting man, to see how Bogle how Bogle handles that because Dion yeah. definitely is going to be needed. But it's, if he's out there too long, man, the defense. Oh gosh, <laughs> he's out there too long. Well, basketball has like a it's uh, it's uh, contagious. Like when 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 the Lakers playing bad in the bubble you can see Dion would play bad everyone would play bad because it's just contagious man yeah, like bad, bad effort is bad shooting is contagious like basketball is weird like that yeah yeah so um earlier this week so uh I guess Ramona something that basically broke Twitter for a minute so Ramona Shelburne went on <laughs> <laughs> on TV uh, discussing her MVP award vote and uh she went on this whole rant about why LeBron was her MVP award winner which uh you know, mine's just Giannis, but her reasoning kind of was kind of, to me, kind of disrespectful to the whole voting, to the whole evaluation process. Uh, she said she's a narrative-driven voter, which to me dismisses the basketball side of it, which is uh, extremely disrespectful to the, to the players that put in the work, basically don't have the media spotlight that the Lakers have, right? So um, I actually wanted to bring you in for that because you actually had a great on-court. First of all, respond to how you think, you know, how you – Phil Ramona handled the MVP, her MVP vote. And then secondly, you've made a great on-court case for LeBron to have MVP, which I think was the best case I heard, even though my vote's still Giannis. But you made a great logical case for him to be MVP. So just uh, talk about those two things. So with the Ramona thing, I actually thought the funniest thing that I saw about that was your response to Josh <laughs> when you said, like, that it's something along the lines of, like, she went on TV and – like straight up admitted that she wanted to be a TMZ contest or something like that. I can't remember exactly what you said, but that was so funny to me because that's the truth. Cause like, I think dude, like narrative uh, it's, it's a word that kind of has different uh, uh, interpretations, right? So like, so open. Yes. Yeah, so open. Yeah. And if you interpret it as an off court thing, then yeah, it's definitely bad. But like the, where I would be okay with a narrative based case to someone like Dame. So Dame would be on my ballot for sure. Somewhere in the top five. And the reason why is there is an on court narrative that, that shows his performance. So like, for instance, like one of the funniest things that everyone forgets because Mello's playing so well is they signed Mello like during a time when their roster was so thin because Dame was out. The, the first game Melo came back, Dame was out with injury. Um, Zach Collins was out. Nurkic was out, obviously. And they started that. And they, they literally started. I can't remember who they played. I think it might have been yeah, Melo had to start. Without, yeah, didn't know any they started players. him and they were like, you need to shoot 20 times tonight. Like, <laughs> like they brought him in out of an absolute necessity to right. like, we need you to be old Melo or as close to that as you can be. And what's crazy about that is, like, now that you look at the roster, it looks like a, like a bona fide playoff roster, but it wasn't that at that point. And, like, like man, Dame, Dame legitimately was one of the five best players in basketball this year, Absolutely. without a doubt. And his, team, and his team couldn't win games because legitimately on, there was an on-court story you could paint. Like, the GM, for some reason, sold all of their wing depth down the river for Hassan Whiteside, who uh, I think you and I would agree is not very good. And, uh, and then they had a horrible injury luck. So as a result, you have this situation where there's a narrative that shows that even though the wins and losses aren't really there, he was playing basketball at an MVP level. 
Now, where I have a huge problem with it is what we've seen from uh, uh, what we've seen from a lot of these ESPN reporters like Dave McMenamin and like Brian Windhorst and Ramona Shelburne and all these people that insist on talking about this off-court narrative with LeBron. Because the 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 there is an actual basketball case to be made for LeBron. Yeah, that, this was this was good. This was good. Yeah, and to be clear. I'm not over here saying LeBron is the runaway MVP. In my opinion, the only case that I think, the only take that I think is a bad take is to say that it wasn't close because I do believe it was close. But his case hinges on this idea that the Lakers were better than the Bucs because there are three MVP cases that we hear historically in the NBA. Who's the best player? Yep. Who's the best player on the best team? And who's the most valuable player to their team? You know, and we've seen many different versions of that win in the past. Well, like, I don't want to spend too much time talking about who's the best player because a lot of that is subjective. You either watch LeBron and Giannis and think that Giannis is better or you think LeBron's better. I think LeBron's better because of, I value that floor general so much in the way that you can control the pace of a game. And I thought that while Giannis was better than LeBron on the defensive end, I thought LeBron was better than Giannis as an offensive player in the way that he controlled that offense. But I'm, at the point, I'm at the point where, you know, I take Giannis over the 82. I want LeBron for the 16. Yeah, so it, exactly. it's LeBron. <laughs> and it, but it's totally subjective, too. Like, yeah, right, I, can't, right. I can't prove to you because so much of that is about what you value. And, and, like, Giannis is like a statistical juggernaut. Like, he just physically imposes his will on the game and it shows up in the stats. Uh, but then as far as who's the most valuable, I think it was pretty clear watching the Lakers this year. Giannis was extremely valuable to the Bucs, but I thought that LeBron demonstrated in what happened when he was on and off that, that he was a more valuable player to his team. Mm-hmm. Um, but the big one is the, the fact that the Lakers were better than the Bucs. And really what that hinges on is this East-West thing. And a lot of people toss it out because it's been brought up so much having to do with the playoffs. And I get that because – Without a doubt, the talent at the top of the conference in the East is absolutely less than what there is in the West, especially when LeBron was there. It was really bad, right? Yeah, yeah. But this was a weird year where the bottom of the East was abnormally bad. They brought one team to the bubble, and that one team that they brought to the bubble, we all roasted for having no business being there. They ended up behind, like, three teams that didn't get invited. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then, and then we look at, and then we look at the, the West, and it's like, oh, man, like, they brought five non-playoff teams that are like, wait, we've got DeMar DeRozan, we've got, you know, Devin Booker, we've got DeAndre Ayton, we've got, you know, John Moran, we've got Dame Lillard, we've got, like, all these stars that right, are playing right, right. in the bottom of the conference. And so I can't remember the exact numbers, but the Bucks were undefeated against the non-playoff teams in the East. And they had like a plus 17 net rating in those games. And when you play 50 of your 82 games against your own conference, that can make a big difference. And so a lot of these advanced metrics that we've seen and a lot of those things are inflated by the fact that the Bucks were just beating the living hell out of the Knicks and out of the Pistons and out of the Bulls. And, and, it, and it manifested like that. So basically with the Lakers, they were better. They were the best team in the league against, uh, against teams that were 500 or better. They played a significantly tougher schedule night in and night out. And at the end of the day, two losses were what separated them and the Bucks in the standings. And so ESPN does an RPI, Relative Present Index, that they use for college sports to try to weigh the difference between the conferences. And yeah, they seen that. Yeah, and they do one for the NBA, too. And the Lakers showed up number one there. Because with, if you factor in what they were going through and what they were able to accomplish on the court, the Lakers were actually better. I don't think it was by a wide margin. I think it was by a very small margin. But if you're looking at those two cases, I would argue that LeBron was the best player in the league. 
I would argue that he was the best player on the best team because the Lakers were this much better than the Bucks this year. And I would argue that he was the most valuable player on his team in the league. So that would be the basketball case without me having to bring up gray hairs or Kobe or anything. Having to yeah, right. yeah. yeah. I think like I said, that, that, that was the best case I've heard. Now I still mm-hmm. probably would lean Giannis because he just did so much damage, even like in 30 minutes a game. It was mm-hmm. just, it was crazy. And part of the, just me knowing the Lakers, the on off thing, uh, part of it was LeBron, but a lot of it had to do with Rondo being like, godly awful, which is why I think AD AD caught a lot of flack for Rondo being a a horrible uh, secondary point guard to LeBron. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of factors that went in there, but I think you made me believe that it is actually, it is in actuality very close, a very close race. Mm -hmm. Because I thought, until I heard you break that down, I just, it was Giannis running away with it, but that is a great point that you made. and Giannis's case is incredible. You can't deny it. Like, it, I have no issue with anybody who goes that way. All right. So, with uh, moving on. So, with uh, everything set in the playoffs, uh, it seems like the biggest first-round draw, uh, aside from the, you know, obviously people are casting up the Blazers, but obviously is OKC, the OKC-Houston series, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of, lot of storylines behind it. You got – uh, Oak, uh, uh, Chris Paul going against a team that traded him, right? Harden's own home. They chose Ibaka over Harden way back in the day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where are you with that series? That seems to be seems to be split fifty fifty down the line based on people who talk. So I'm definitely leaning OKC. Um, oh, remember, Russ, Russ is going to be out maybe the first two the or three games. games or something like that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm definitely leaning OKC. I mean, here's the reality. We're all guessing, right? Because like playoff basketball, the biggest lesson anybody can ever learn by watching the NBA is that playoff basketball is very different from the regular season. Man. And yeah. And, and one of the, one of the important details here is in NBA history, literally not just going back in modern history, but back to like literally when it was black and white uh, uh, TVs, like we have never seen a team without a center try to win a playoff series. So, so first of all, we're all guessing. None of us know what's going to happen. Now, what OKC uh, gets a, has a reputation for playing small guards, right? Because they'll play a lot of Schroeder, they'll play a lot of Chris Paul, they'll play a lot of uh, uh, Shea Gilgis Alexander. But the reality is, is they're actually pretty big. Uh, Adams and Danilo Gallinari is Danilo Gallinari six ten. I'm pretty sure he can play three four equally. Yeah, you know, so yeah, and he's very he's extremely skilled and. Yeah. Uh, uh, and smart, and he can pass. And uh, uh, and then Stephen Adams. I mean, there's. I could see that series going away. Where if if Harden plays well enough, I could see them playing Adams off the floor. But even if they got Adams off the floor and Danilo was playing the five, there's a scenario where his size could be exploited. So the question becomes: With all of the reps over a seven-game series, can the Thunder learn how to exploit their advantages? the huge size advantages that they have over, over Houston. And my thing is like, if you were picking a list of players to that could potentially solve that puesle, CP three has got to be like at least number two on that list, if not higher. Like he's, he's uniquely qualified just as a basketball mind. And as a guy who can pick a part of defense to find a way to beat that team because so many Rockets games devolve into this weird up and down, almost like soccer where there's like two dudes in the backcourt and three 24 hour fitness, baby. Yeah. And like, <laughs> it just, it falls apart. And so what the teams that beat them are the teams that don't 
devolve with the Rockets into that non-basketball. The teams that beat them are the ones that force the Rockets to play real basketball. And I would think CP3 is capable of doing that. The rust injury is definitely a huge factor. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm a little worried about the Thunder having – because I know that the, the – I can't – I'm not going to try to pronounce his first name, but Dort, I know he's hurt. But yeah, I he, like him. He's, he, he does a lot for them. I just he, – he does a lot for them. And he'd be the player who would primarily guard Harden, right? So, like, mm-hmm. most likely. So, there, there are so, definitely some things that I'd worry about and definitely some advantages for Houston. You and I have both seen Russ bully small guards as a post-up player. We saw him destroy the Lakers doing that, and he really went off doing that. So they have advantages, but I would I would bet my money on CP3 in, a, in that series over Houston, in my opinion. Yeah. So here's where I am with the Rockets, right? I think uh, what they do it works over a regular season because, you know, you don't prepare for that over the course of season. You have to think about, okay, who do we play next, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think over the course of a series where you get an NBA level coach to adjust game to game to to a team that doesn't play a center, I think you give the NBA coach an opportunity to look at film and break that down. It's not as effective. Um, they just hammered so many. I look at the rebounding numbers from when from where they when they play when they play this uh, style. It's like fifteen losing by fifteen twenty rebounds just per game. When mm-hmm. you hemorrhage that many possessions. Like, no one going into a game, I'm going to give you an extra 20 possessions just off rebounds. It's just hard to do that over a course of a series to me. Like, I have to, dep- I have to literally shoot you out the gym or turn you over X amount of times just to make it even, right? Mm-hmm. I just think over the course of a series, it just, it just won't work out. So, I, got, I, I was leaning OKC anyway, even with Russ there. I just tilted it even more without, without him there. So, that's, that's where I was with that. Yeah, I, and I agree. And, that, and that's the key difference is, like, the, and that's the big difference with these playoff series. Like I saw a stat the other day, like LeBron is – or today, it was like LeBron's 14-3 and three since the 2011 series in game six and game seven of a playoff series. And, like, of course there are these sweeps that happen, right, in the early rounds. But championships are won in game six and game seven. Yep. In game yep. five yep. and game six and game seven. And, like, it's – As you crazy. adjust – yeah, like, like I'll never forget the uh, 2007. I remember uh, the 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 Rockets won Game One against the Spurs, beat the hell out of them, and uh, and they put Kawhi on Ryan Anderson, and, and Ryan Anderson kept shooting these 35 footers, and it, and it pulled Kawhi completely out of the play, and so Harden was just feasting because Kawhi wasn't able to kind of impact the game defensively. And then the Spurs came back and won the series in six because like the, these, these series that it's, you can never get too high. You can never get too low because it's, it's literally a chess match. And at the end, you're just trying to gain every little advantage. And by giving up the center position, you are putting your, and, and also this is not the same Rockets team defensively that we saw. No, at all, at not all, even, at so, all. So they, they're just not the same. And like, like even, even the bigger wings that they have, like Jeff Green and, uh, um, uh, I've, well, Covington's pretty good defensively, but a lot of the bigger wings that they've, they've picked up uh, on the market are not necessarily super great defensive players. So, yeah, exactly. They're average. They're, they're going to be an average defensive team in the playoffs. So, like, the, the, the list of advantages that OKC can potentially gain over a series are much higher than what Houston can potentially gain. So, but, I mean, yeah, like, it, it's going to be close, and I think we're all guessing because this, like, dude, like, 
we've talked about this forever, but the Rockets are stupid until they're not. Like there's, <laughs> there's going to be a point potentially where they break through and then we're all going to have to be like, well, <laughs> it worked, you know? So like that's the, that's the flip side of this. But my guess, if I, if I had a hundred bucks and I had to bet it, I'm betting on OKC on that one. Okay, cool, cool. So kind of, um, you know, sticking with the OK, the Houston Harden thing. So the, NBA released its bubble awards. You were not a fan of that, as I saw. <laughs> I saw you were like, give me your break. So they released their all-bubble team. It's cheesy, uh, dude. Green, Booker, uh, Luca, Harden, and TJ Warren. They all played outstanding, by the way. I, I, I give them that. Um, so, I, again, this inspired, you know, the takes about Harden's legacy, obviously. Um, and a lot of people are to this point of where they are, you know, safely inserting James Harden as the third best shooting guard of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I vehemently disagree. Uh, I think that's an extreme disservice to Dwayne Wade, who has been an extremely high-level competitor for championship-level teams, which to me is a tiebreaker if something's close between players. Um, I know you specifically want to talk about this. I'm going to let you have it. Tell me uh, why you think hard and overweight is, you know, a little silly. So, well, for starters, everybody wants to bring up stats with James Harden. And I just want to read a couple of quick numbers that are, that are something to keep in mind. Bradley Beal, 30.5 points per game. Trey Young, 29.6 points per game. We have uh, Devin Booker, who was on a non-playoff team, 26.6 points per game. Zach Levine, 25.5 points per game. The, the list goes on and on of players that, like, Andrew Wiggins is here, 21.8 points per game. Are you kidding me, Andrew Wiggins? <laughs> Like the, the the thing is, is that like I, the point, the quoting points per game to me doesn't mean anything. I have to find some sort of evidence that's happening on the court that shows that you are um, uh, uh, a winner right. to, to keep it simple. But like uh, I, the, the real simple example that I'd use to show the difference between Dwayne Wade and James Harden is uh, a couple of quick stories. So Dwayne Wade in 2012, is still the same Dwayne Wade that we remember. That's the year that he had that spin move dunk over Kendrick Perkins. That's one of his most famous dunks in his career. That happened in 2012, so after 2011. But late in that season, his knees started giving him problems. I remember that, yeah. it, it was bad to where, like, he was getting injections. He was having major swelling, and he was uh, um, missing games. Like, it, and, and he had a famous ga- a playoff game against Indiana where I think he had eight points. Like he, he had a, he had a really rough stretch there where he was trying to figure out how to live with this injury. Right. So um, what does he do coming into 2013? He basically becomes like a low post guard and he starts uh, bullying people with his size. Cause he was about six foot four and extremely strong. Mm-hmm. And he became probably like the second or third best floater slash half hook player in the league. He was really, really good in that mid range shooting over um, shot blockers with these like little high arcing floaters that he would release. And, and then in addition to that, he was famous in the early Miami years with LeBron and then before LeBron as being one of the best shot blockers in the league. Yeah, he was, he, great, he was a great defender in his, in his prime. Yeah, but he became, he was even after the knee injuries, he remained a great defender because he got extremely good using his hands underneath the basket, like picking bigs as they'd be going up for layups and stuff like that. D-Wade like evolved his game into an old man overnight. And as a result, like, like look what happened to Melo. Melo went from being one of the top five players in the league to like top 40 almost overnight because he didn't really evolve when, when his body broke down. Right. Whereas like Wade kind of stayed in that top 15, top 20 range when his knees gave out, 
because he was so willing to give up the highlights, so to speak, and make his game maybe less aesthetically appealing to be a, a winner. And, and as a result, he's got three rings, and uh, he was the second best player on two championship teams, absolutely the second best player, one of their best perimeter defenders, one of their best playmakers. He became a great passer out of pick and roll. He changed his game to, to stay uh, winning at a high level. And the best player on a champion team. On a championship yeah, and, team. and the 2006 series, which, by the way, like it's completely glossed over in this thing. Like, like his, I, I, he was unbelievable that year in a way that Harden never has been. But then with Harden, you look at 2019, right? So he's uh, coming off of three straight postseasons where he's had 41% shooting, so shooting tanks. And then he famously – he misses a bunch of shots, and then he famously has all these ugly turnovers in game six against Houston – or game six against Golden State last year. And the way he responds to failing yet again is to try to learn how to do a one-legged fadeaway from three. (laughs) And to the point where it's almost like, dude, I can't remember who exactly said this, but someone said this on Twitter and I thought it was so funny. They were like, it's like he's become a caricature of himself. And it's true. Like, it's almost like if I was like, what would be the funniest thing that James Hardy could do right now to show us who he really is? And it was that. And, like, and that's my thing. Like, dude, don't get me wrong. I, I'm not – I think he's the sixth best player in the league right now. He's a I, great player. He's a great player. Yeah, you can't. But yeah. when we're talking about Dwayne Wade, a player who was the best player on a championship in, a team and the best player on two uh, other champion, or the second best player on two other championship teams, like we're, we're, we're using these points per game and uh, these really flashy sequences that James Harden is famous for – to overcome the sole purpose of what we're doing here, which is to win basketball. Yeah, right, right, right. And, and Wade, Wade was willing to do the ugly stuff that no – because no floater is making a highlight reel. No, right, right. no post-up baby hook shot is making a highlight reel. No strip underneath the basket is making a highlight reel. But he's willing to he – he transformed his game to be a winner into his late prime in a way that – we haven't seen Harden try yet. Dude, I would – if I saw Harden – literally, if I just saw a video this summer of him, like, working back to the basket, I would lose my mind. I'd be like, this guy's getting it finally. But he just he, – because he has size. That's the crazy part. Harden's big. He's, like, 6'6 and pretty strong. Like, he could be a more efficient, you know, interior player. But he just doesn't really care about doing that. Yeah, my thing with Harden is um, – I, I discussed this with, some, with somebody else. I think a lot of his – there's two things that happened to him in the playoffs – I think one, he's just worn down. His usage is incredible. It's not even just a percentage. It's the it's the thirteen dribbles, the seven side steps. Like you do that over the course of eighty two games, like it, it wears you down. I think a lot of his playoff struggles is one, he's he's worn down. Two, because of his shot profile, he eliminates a whole section of the court in the playoffs. So coaches go in knowing, okay, it's threes or he's going left. You don't have to defend him on the in between game. Mm-hmm. I think, and he's talented enough to score from there, which is the frustrating part. So when you go into a series and a coach knows, okay, within paint and pressure the three-pointer, right? I think it just makes him so much easier to defend in playoff situations, and I think a lot of that has to do with his fall-off. So it's just the fatigue and him eliminating the mid-range jumper from his shot profile. Mm-hmm. Um, and just comparing him to Wade, I just like you said, it's just Wade has so many intangible qualities that, led, that lended themselves to winning above anything else. It just, it's just uh, slightly disrespectful to, to put – just to say in a vacuum, just James Harden is better because he scores more, right? Yeah, 100%, man. And, and like, it, 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 the other thing, too, that I think people gloss over is 
that defense is repetitive in the same way that offense is. Like when you're, you know, like for instance, like, you know, who, you know, who used to guard me pretty well, even though he wasn't a basketball player was my little brother. You know, I, because I went against him every single day and he, he knew what I did, you know, and like the, the, the same goes for uh, the playoff series uh, approach to Harden. Like one of the things that makes LeBron so effective in a playoff series is like on any given possession that he comes down the floor, he can do pick and roll. He can do a pick into a switch to attack a big. He can attack you in isolation. He can take you to a face up from about 18 to 22 feet. He can post you up and try to bully you, and he can play off the ball. So he's got a half dozen different ways that he's coming at you. And he can shoot. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you can't just sit on what LeBron's doing because he can do so many different things. Like, for instance, like the, a lot of teams have tried to ball pressure LeBron to try to wear him down. He'll just give it up and go get it back. Right. You know, but whereas like, like with James Harden, when he's attacking off the dribble from 30 feet, every single possession of every game, the better defenders, and again, this will work in the first round against the Utah Jazz. This will work in the first round against the Minnesota Timberwolves. But when you're going in those later rounds and you're playing against the better, uh, not just the better perimeter defenders in the league, but the better defensive schemes in the league, the, they are, okay, I'm going to see 60 Harden isolations tonight. So he might get me in the first 15. He might get me in the first 30. But chances are, as the game progresses, I'm going to be ready for whatever he's going yes, to Yes, yes, yes. Yes, that is an excellent way to put it. Yeah, man, and just, you know, stop comparing champions, guys who have contributed on a high <laughs> championship level. I just think in general, um, I agree somewhat with what people say about, you know, quote-unquote rings culture. I get, I get that part of it. But at the end of the day, the point of the game is to win. So mm. I, I think winning's becoming a bit devalued in just how we evaluate um certain players i know it's not the um there are a lot of a lot of variables that go into it but at the end of the day it is what why they play so i just think we have to find a you know somewhat of a balance with that discussion i think in this case you can say you can safely say wade has done more things and lent himself to winning than james harden did well and 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 it's it should be i think the winning has to be the absolute end goal at least for the the elite of the elite so the the greatest example i can use is Kyrie versus dame because there was some debate that was going on today about uh trusting dame over lebron or something and uh, and someone said someone said like oh well Kyrie has a championship and i don't think there's anybody here who would take Kyrie over dame right like dame's a better player than Kyrie, i think i that's where i land on that one um uh, not by a huge margin, but I, like if I was starting a franchise tomorrow, I'm taking Dame over Kyrie. So, but Kyrie, the, the reason why the championship doesn't mean as much for me with Kyrie is I'm not putting Kyrie in the top, you know, 40 players of all time. I'm not holding him in that, that super upper echelon where, you know, we're talking about the absolute best of the best. You know, Dame, Dame is in the, in the range of being considered one of the five best players in the league. He is the foundational piece of a franchise. It's different for him to get a championship than it is for Kyrie to play an extremely important role as the second best player on a team. You know what I mean? There's like, for instance, what validates Dwayne Wade's career is 2006, right? Like we've, we've seen, and then he had a couple of near MVP runs in, uh, uh, in the later years in Miami in like 08, 09. I can't remember. He was like third in MVP voting, I think in 2010. Yeah, yeah, he was. He's he's been close a couple of times. So we had seen Wade impact winning at the absolute highest level in 06 as the best player on the team. 
and to a pretty high level uh, in, in the later years right before LeBron came. So there's a validation there. Whereas like with, with, with Kyrie, I am yet to see him, you know, as the best player on the team impact winning at a high level. So like, I think with rings culture, like, I think it's absolutely necessary to factor that in the most for the best of the best. But when it comes to those guys like Kyrie that are in that next tier below, or we're not even like, I don't even know where you put Kyrie all time. He's definitely not top 50. Right. So like it, when you're ranking those guys, like it's a little bit different. Um, but yeah, with Harden, if, if the conversation is, is Harden the third best shooting guard of all time, it starts and ends with he's not a champion because we're talking <laughs> about the third best shooting guard of all time. If you're trying to tell me if he's the best player in the league right now or something like that, that's a different combo. Like with Giannis, like you, I could under, I could entertain Giannis being the best player because we're talking in this context, not the all time yeah, context. This vacuum, this season vacuum. Yeah, yeah, exactly. All right, man. That was, that, that was good. Good stuff, Jay. Appreciate that, man. Thank so, you. um, yeah, man, I know Jay wanted to talk about that uh that Harden Wade thing. <laughs> <laughs> but now nah, man, appreciate uh, appreciate you coming on. Uh follow Jason on Twitter at uh Jason L T underscore, right? At underscore Jason. Yeah, underscore at the front, yeah. Uh, underscore Jason L T. Uh he contributes to Hoop Habit. Uh he's a LeBron fan, but he's not crazy. Um, <laughs> <I know> that. <laughs> that's hard to find. Now I'm playing, man. But uh yeah, we're out of here, man. Appreciate you guys for yeah, tapping I really in. Yeah, appreciate you having me on. Oh, yeah, no problem, Jack. Go ahead. Have a good oh, day, uh, appreciate, appreciate Jason coming on. You guys hit that follow, subscribe button. It's going to be a good episode to listen to, and we are out of here. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.